Hello, and welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, here, as always, with Victor Davis Hansen, the Morton and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, I am going to start our conversation today with the opening lines from a piece that you recently wrote that poses the question in its first paragraph, what exactly has birthed the pajama boy aristocracy? Now, before I have you answer that question, why don't you just define for our listeners what exactly the pajama boy aristocracy is? Well, I use the word pajama boy because that was a ad that the Organizing for Action uh, PAC that supported Obama during the health care uh, debacle vote uh, put out an ad of, an, of a young adult, Ethan Krupp, one of the, uh, the employees of that PAC group, dressed in kind of plaid red pajamas. I guess they have footsies, those things you used to wear when you were a little kid, <laughs> a, a one-piece pajama. And then he's got a cup with apparently hot cocoa in it. He's got these wire rim glasses and they say, you know, drink, drink coca, sit in your pajamas and support Obamacare. And either that means that Obama's team thinks that there's a lot of those people out there or there's not a lot out there, but the people that do look like that and do drink hot cocoa at 10 in the morning in their pajamas as an adult uh, are more important or more influential or the type of people that, that would rally and get the health care through. They're obviously not truck drivers from Toledo is what I'm saying. I've never <laughs> met any, I never met anybody that looked like that. But then from that, I, I went on and thought, wow, a lot of people have the same voice. They have the same attitude. They have the same preparation as Pajama Boy does in this administration. Well, th- right, and that was the point that I was going to make next is you point out that this is not just sort of a marketing ploy where Obamacare is concerned. This is sort of represented by people who have been at fairly senior levels of the Obama administration. I mean, give us some examples of the kind of individuals that represent the mindset you're you're discussing here. Well, one of them was Jonathan Gruber, the Cornell professor who was an advisor to the uh, human health and human services and he was the expert that I think Obama on at least three occasions cited as proof that you could keep your doctor, you could keep your health plan, lower deductibles, universal coverage, all of everything that violated the laws of physics. And so when it was all over, he had a, a, a just a candid moment where he said, you know, we had to really push this through. And, we, and he mentioned whether it was a tax or a fee. And then at one point he said – and we just assumed the American voter was American voter was stupid. The public was stupid, and that was that's a key opponent. That's a key component of pajama boy mentality that you cannot stand the working class or the uninformed public because pajama boy himself, when he was asked about this ridiculous ad, said, "You know, I'm a liberal f blank, and I like to humiliate people, and I always get away with." Get away with it in the way that Gruber was saying. And then another example was Ben Rhodes, who. 30-something wannabe novelist who found himself probably this, the chief speechwriter for Obama and his assistant national security advisor. And then in this obnoxious New York Times interview, he says in pajama boy fashion, well, we kind of salted the field uh, with information about the Iran deal that was false, i.e. that President Rouhani, who came to power in late 19, uh, 2013, was a genuine reformer who reached out to us 
when of course that wasn't true. He wasn't a reformer and he didn't reach out to us. And Obama was the instigator of the negotiations because he wanted a legacy. But nevertheless, Rhodes brags post facto. And we kind of salted the field with all this these talking points that these pseudo-experts then regurgitated. And because the average journalism is a 27-year-old know-nothing, they picked the analyst up and we completed the circle. And I think the term he used was an echo chamber. But again, young guy, smug, arrogant, and then cannot be content with fooling and being deceptive like a Gruber or somebody, but he has to boast how successful he was in that con. Do you see this beyond Washington? Are there other aspects of American society that are sort of polluted by this mindset? Yeah, I think anytime I uh, I look at anything to do with Silicon Valley, I see a now a typical profile, a guy who stands up. He's, he's trying to beat Steve Jobs, I guess. He's got a black turtleneck or a black T-shirt, black pants. He's walking with a microphone tucked under his chin um, with a headset, and he's on stage like he's performing, and he's telling you that you got to buy this gadget or got to buy that. And then I look at behind that that facade, and I see, wow, um, Google is offshoring more than anybody else, anybody else has ever imagined. And wow, this new startup, $9 billion Silicon Valley Palo Alto company, Theranos, really deceived people about their blood test and caused probably a lot of death. And then, wow, Facebook, who says that they've got all of these, these sophisticated uh, automatic ways of trending the news was actually just in an old-fashioned way prejudicial, trying to salt the the Facebook daily news digest in a way that favored liberals. So it's the same attitude. And when you look at these people, who who are they? Well, they're usually people who are quite young, quite left-wing, quite arrogant, and quite unwilling to keep quiet about their con. They've got to just... It's almost like a tick. They have to brag how they've deceived all of these people of lower class. And then the ultimate culmination, of course, is Barack Obama, whether we look at his clinger speech when he sort of laughs about these people cling to their guns or, or um, the, you know, when he says, I'm smarter than my speechwriters, I'm smarter than my campaign manager, I'm a better press agent than my press agent. Or when he uses these juvenile pajama boy uh, metaphors, just give it to me, baby, I'm LeBron. Uh, or it's right. Kobe, Kobe this. Or Michael Jordan shouldn't talk. I could, I could play golf as well as he could if I could practice more. So he's got a, kind of an arrested development. Is part of this trend too – it's interesting. The self-conception of the sort of individuals that you're discussing here seems to be cosmopolitan. But there also seems to be a kind of provincialism to it. I mean everybody that you've described here seems to be somewhat walled off from a pretty wide swath of American society. Is that a, is that a fair critique? Yeah, I think they don't come under audit. And by that I mean if Pajama Boy, again, was to say what he did in an interview and to a real person, he would have his head knocked off. And if Jonathan Gruber would go into the Fresno Urology Association, associates where I just got out of and there were all these people screaming about their deductibles didn't were too high and they didn't pay their premiums and he said these people were stupid and he they would lynch him and if Ben Rhodes would go to Israel and say to you to the Israelis ha 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 
we salted the field and now you've got a, ballistic missiles that are pointed at you, they would probably lynch him. So they're protected in a bubble, basically an East Coast bubble between Boston, New York, and Washington. And then they're in your face so that the our typical stereotype that we all know of what we would call, I guess, a, in the old days you'd call them a prig or a twerp or a wimp or doofus or whatever that is, the pajama boy takes that and throws it back in your face. So he tries to wear something like pajamas with foot pads on it, tries to regress down to a 10-year-old with hot chocolate. Or when you see people, when I go to DuPont Circle and I'm or I'm in Manhattan, I see a certain look now where the person is almost saying, I'm wearing high-water pants. When I was in high school, to wear high-water pants was a sign of a wimp. And I'm wearing old-fashioned retro glasses. And I'm your version of a wimp. And I like being that way because I think I'm better than you and, and I'm way ahead of you. And uh, you can see it, too, the pajamas boy sarcasm with somebody like Stephen Colbert or Jon Stewart or old David Letterman even. When they say something, they look both ways or they put their tongue in their cheek or it's nothing is really as it is it's there's a little bit of there's you the viewer who are hip and and know what's going on there's me and then there's all these other people that don't know what we're doing so it's it's i think all of this i don't want to make it a stretch but i think all of this feeds into something like trump because here's a guy who just shoots off his mouth says anything at any time waves his hand and a lot of people say i don't really care what his positions are because he's a force of inner nature and these people are i, I don't want to use that word a feat but that's what they are and i think that's just absolutely the pajama boy is not really left or right all the time because we have people in the republican party that live in new york or live in washington they wear bow ties wire rim glasses they quote hayek uh, they wear suits and ties every day they go from one think tank to another and they're just befuddled that all these people are voting for this non-conservative Trump when their ideas they feel are much more conducive to the Republican Party. And I think it's the same pajama boy attitude. Um, I see a lot of young conservative writers that will call me or visit sometimes and, and they come out of that milieu and they'll say, what should I do to get ahead or how should I do it? And I always say the same thing. Go on a fishing boat for a summer in Alaska. Go out and pick peaches in the San Joaquin Valley. Go to a machine shop and work at a lathe for, for a year. Because anything to get you some experience so you don't end up like those guys. <laughs> you mentioned the, the youth of uh, all these individuals we're talking about. Is, is there a sense, Victor, in which this is downstream from an excessive kind of American celebration of the young yeah, I think it is. Um, in the old days, you can see it on the, I mean, I wasn't a big fan of Walter Cronkite, but Cronkite didn't inject his face with Botox, either did John Chancellor. And these guys, you know, they, Morley Schaefer died today. He, I wasn't a big fan of his politics, but the guy, you know, he he was out in the field in Vietnam. There were foreign news bureaus in those days. So, there was kind of a crusty exterior to people on both the left and the right. And these people are a product of the contemporary university where we have safe spaces, microaggressions, trigger warnings, helicopter parents, 
and it's it's can be reduced to I guess reduced to the idea of prolonged adolescence that a man 30 years old today is expected to have a lot of debt to be fashionably left-wing to have politics that are contradicted by the way that he lives probably lives with his parents probably still has a cell phone or insurance paid by his parents has a girlfriend but has no immediate plans to marry really worried about fashion in a way that 50 years ago, men thought that that would be effeminate and then uh, doesn't really think I'm going to go buy. Gee whiz, I turned 23. I got to get married. I got to have three kids. I got to get a job. Got to go buy a house in the suburbs. I'm not trying to necessarily make fun of all that. I'm just saying it's a very different paradigm and this pajama boy paradigm. So the final question I'll ask you then, you mentioned Donald Trump is potentially even sort of a reaction to this. Even if we, you know, we can stipulate that maybe he's an imperfect one. But even the fact of that, does that give you some hope that maybe this is reaching a breaking point with at least a significant swath of American society? Yeah, I, I am optimistic. I wasn't originally and I'm not a supporter of St Trump in the primaries, but um, there's he isn't a force of nature and he doesn't apologize and he says things sometimes negatively and offensively. But nevertheless, people see him and they think, He's genuine. Hillary's not genuine. Obama's not genuine. He talks in unguarded fashion. Um, he doesn't have a lot of handlers. And I'm tired of all this stuff. I'm tired of turning on the news on Sunday and seeing a bunch of would-be intellectuals uh, analyze things. And yet they don't know anything about history. They don't know anything about literature. And, you know, the other day, I'll give you an example. Megyn Kelly asked Trump what book he was reading. And I think Trump had prepared. He said, all quiet on the Western front. He'd read that. I don't believe that he had just read it, but <laughs> nevertheless, I almost wanted to say, and what do you read, Megan? Have you read Tolstoy? Have you read the Iliad? How's your Aeschylus coming along? And, <laughs> and uh, so the point is that whether it's, there's a reaction against the media, there's a reaction against the university, and uh, I don't know how it's going to channel. I mean, there's there's precedents where it won't end well, but we'll see how Trump is, whether he's a classical demagogue of the European model or that that was part of his apprentice shtick and then he's going to be a conservative president. So verdict's out, but it's definitely a reaction to Pajama Boy. All right. That's all the time that we have for today. Join us next week for the next installment of the Classicist Podcast. And in the meantime, you can stop by hoover.org to read all of Professor Hansen's commentary. We'll see you back here soon. For Victor Davis Hansen and the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.